We find ourselves here, uh, we're in the, the story of Jesus' suffering, of him headed to the cross. He is, he is almost there. He's been headed to Jerusalem, actually, since Luke chapter 9. And so some of the things that he's been moving toward are actually happening. And we come to this passage of uh, the, the questions asked him, the accusations uh, made against him, the lies uh, that are told about him. And, uh, and I think we hear this story. I, don't, I mean, this is a case where I grew up in the church and I've heard this story uh, even in different versions in the other Gospels. Uh, I'm familiar with this story. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the lie is told about Jesus and him being silent uh, before his accusers and all of that. And, and yet, I think when we really think about how this would have been experienced uh, in the moment, or even for those that are first hearing the story, there's this amazing injustice happening that our hearts should cry out against. These lies told about Jesus so that he might be killed. Is, that's the whole purpose here. There's this plot to kill him uh, that's been going on for some time. I, I think about you know, just learning about things that are happening either in the world or even watching movies and shows where there, it's, it's not an unusual thing to find uh, the protagonist uh, has somebody tell lies about them and, uh, and our hearts cry out for, for justice. This is not the way that it's supposed to be, right? And, and, and I know that some of the absurdity of what's happening in the world today, that there is, uh, it's not just like watching a TV show, it's recognizing that lives are at stake here. And Russia, who is known as basically this factory of disinformation and has been for some time, that uh, when the U.S. a few weeks ago said, uh, yeah, they're planning on these disinformation uh, strategies to, to justify going to war, uh, we, we're like, yep, one, that, that fits. And then, and then uh, Russia's response and Putin's response is, no, you guys are the liars. And, and it's absurd, right? And, 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 and hopefully you, you hear this. I mean, there's this, what is happening, right? Like we're, we're now in just a... a, a violent war of aggression that we didn't think would happen. Uh, and we thought that that was done, right? Like we've progressed beyond that. We're, we as a people are smarter and better, just like that's the way of, of progress, right? In the world. Um, and, and so we cry out against this injustice of lies being told, rightly so. Uh, the encouragement here is to come to uh, the scripture and recognize uh, the injustice that is happening there. And that's what Luke wants us to see. He, he's laying out these things that happened to Jesus. He is, he is establishing his innocence. If we remember from what's happened over the, the, the last few passages, is that the religious leaders are the ones who have, with the help of uh, the secular leaders, have arrested Jesus, and they've accused him of these religious crimes. Sorry. But... Uh, they don't have the power of capital punishment, so they have to go to the secular leaders, the Romans, and, and bring charges so that the Romans will, will kill Jesus. You actually get to the end of this passage, and, uh, and, and it seems like things are going to be okay for Jesus. It seems like, oh, they didn't find, neither Pilate nor Herod found anything uh, worthy of putting him to death. And, and so you're like, oh, this is... This is if you're reading it for the first time, oh, this is moving in the right direction. We know that's not actually the case. And so we should be um, 
rightly outraged at the injustice that is happening here, at the fact that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the only man to ever walk the earth and be perfect, who is who has proclaimed the peace of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, who has healed those who are sick, who has raised people from the dead, who has cast out demons, who has only served is, is being railroaded here. And so we see, we're going to see two points here. We're going to see Jesus' suffering, and we're going to see our suffering. I'll explain why we see our suffering uh, in a moment. But we'll start with Jesus' suffering and then our suffering. Let, let me pray. Lord, I do pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word, that we might be encouraged uh, and challenged as we hear the truth of what Jesus experienced, that we would find in it great hope and uh, that you would work in our hearts and lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see is Jesus' suffering. Now, we know that this is a part of a bigger story, and we can't see it outside of that. We know that, that Jesus, he has a purpose of heading to the cross. He's fulfilling uh, many Old Testament prophecies, dozens of prophecies uh, from hundreds of years ago that are being fulfilled even in this moment. We see here this particular reference to Isaiah chapter 53. So Jesus has already been betrayed by one of the disciples. He's been arrested by the religious leaders. He's had uh, like his... his right-hand man. I mean, he's had Peter who's like stood by him all this time. He's just denied him. It's, it's not going well. And we remember what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. It goes on to say, surely he was born our griefs, griefs, our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So remember uh, from just a few weeks ago the story of the Lord's Supper, the, the, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper demonstrating that he is the ultimate Passover lamb. It's, it's celebrated at Passover uh, when the lamb is sacrificed so that, that God would pass over uh, the houses of his people, that he would grant them uh, protection, that he would give them life when they deserved death. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that, the ultimate fulfillment of that. So he when we had all turned away, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in the midst of it, verse 7, we see fulfilled here, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Here's Jesus being accused by Pilate and then Herod, and uh, he doesn't give a response. He is silent before them. He is uh, this is one of the ways in which he is fulfilling scripture so that he might go to the cross, that he might accomplish for us salvation, that he might accomplish for us the forgiveness of our sin, that he might be that ultimate Passover lamb. And, and, and we as uh, good Presbyterians, uh, we, we talk about uh, our, our theology as Reformed theology. We, we are very particular about getting this right, that we are justified 
by the Lord. We are declared right by him, forgiven by him because of the work that he does. It's a free gift from him. It's nothing that we can do. That's why all of this suffering of Jesus is necessary, because we can't accomplish it ourselves. That we can't save ourselves. And so we find the need for Jesus Christ. We need, need him to experience this suffering, to, to die on the cross. And it's this transaction that we focus on, that we think about this uh, reality of being forgiven. And it's, it's important, actually, for us to, to be reminded of this very true thing, that there's nothing that we can do, that we, this hearing this story of all of this injustice of Jesus standing before Pilate and Herod and them not finding any guilt that is deserving of death. And even then, yet wanting to punish him, wanting to whip him. Like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll satisfy the crowd uh, with a little whipping, even though he's innocent. Like, that's unjust. And then we know what's coming next. He actually is going to be put to death. And we know that this is necessary because it offers for us forgiveness. There is a level of transaction here of him giving us his righteousness and taking our sin upon himself. And it's important to think about that. But sometimes we get bogged down right there. And that's, that's kind of where we stop. We talk about this free gift and we, we settle in on that it's a free gift. But we sometimes fail to recognize what the gift is in all of its beauty and all of its complications. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment when we talk about our suffering. But we, we need to recognize that the free gift is this forgiveness that he offers, but that even is, has an end in and of itself. So here's an illustration. Let's imagine that I'm telling you the story of something that uh, Matt Novak and I experienced just a uh, month and a half ago. We decided that we were interested in, uh, in an experience, right? And so we walked down the street and we let it be known that we were looking uh, for something, and I was telling you the story, and I didn't tell you what it was, but I said, you know, we, we didn't get it for free, but almost for free. Uh, I mean, it was essentially given to us. It was awesome. Like, what, what was it, you ask? But, well, I mean, it was basically free. It was great. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, it was way better than we thought, way better deal than we thought we'd get, right? And, well, what, what was it? Well, um, I, I, you would probably want to know what it was, Right? Well, uh, this is the way that we operate sometimes with the, uh, with the gospel. It's free. It's this, this free gift. What, what is it? What do you get? Well, let's take it a step farther and say, well, actually what we got was tickets. We got tickets and they were almost free. And, and they actually did really just kick in two for free so that I was able to call Libby and invite her too. We, we all got tickets. Oh, that's great. What'd you get tickets? They were almost free. They were tickets. We had them, they showed up on our phone. It was great, right? Okay, you want to know more, as well you should. So we, we sometimes, we move from, okay, the gift was free from God. This, this work that he did on the cross was free. And we said, you know what he, he gave us? He gave us forgiveness. And that's important. It matters. We, 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 we needed those tickets to have the experience that we did. We, we need the forgiveness, but it, it still leads to something else. And this is what we sometimes fail to think about. Because what actually, those tickets got us into the national championship game. And uh, so Matt and I got to go. And Libby, who I've watched a lot of football with the last couple of years, got to join us. And uh, we love college football. And we got to go and added bonus that we got to see Georgia beat Alabama, right? 
That was the thing that we wanted, the game, right? It's great that the tickets were uh, very cheap. It's great that we actually got tickets, but what it all led to was the game itself, this experience that we had. The gift of God is free through Jesus Christ, and it gives us forgiveness, but we do not need to forget what it leads to. It leads to relationship. It's all about Jesus wanting relationship with his people. It's all about him wanting to embrace us and us be a part of his family, his sons and daughters, heirs of what he has offered. Forgiveness is crucial. The fact that it's free is crucial, but we lose sight of what it's about if we don't talk about it. It's about a relationship with Jesus himself. It's about a relationship with our Lord. It is, it is at some level transactional, but it is so much more than that. And so as we enter into that relationship, we see what his suffering does for us. So that now as we are in relationship with him, we recognize that he is able to sympathize with us in our own suffering. In our own moments of experiencing injustice, of being wrongly accused, of having lies told about us. And this, this happens to us in our lives, that we experience things that are not right. And what we're told in the book of Hebrews is we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses. That Jesus is a high priest who absolutely sympathizes with us. So that when we experience weaknesses, when we experience suffering ourselves, we have a God who has entered into it himself and is able to sympathize with us and come alongside us. So that might be, you know, you're a student and you've had other students, uh, you've had friends even make up stories about you. I think of a good friend of mine when I was growing up. He's a few years older than me. We went to the same school. He had some, uh, a couple of guys just make up stories about him. And he ended up leaving the school. It was like a horrible experience for him. Um, and, and that is something that happens. It happens in schools. It happens in our places of work. It happens in neighborhoods. It happens in our families. Sadly, it happens in the church. That there are, are times when we experience injustice. We experience things said about us that just aren't, aren't true. And in those moments, Jesus is able to come alongside us and sympathize with us. He's able to be our fellow heir. He's able to comfort us in those times, in our suffering, in our weaknesses. It's a beautiful thing that is offered. This is what the, the forgiveness and the gift of God and justification, all of that is really important, but it is leading to the fact that we are offered a relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And we are offered one who is able to sympathize with us in our brokenness, in our mess, in our weaknesses. Because the reality is, the beauty of being connected to him does have come with this, this aspect that we don't always love. That, that is that, that we ourselves will experience suffering. That we ourselves will experience suffering as a part of being united to Jesus himself. There's a, a theology that we talk about called uh, union with Christ. This connection to him, we see it in Romans 6, we see it really all over the place, but it's this fact that we are united to him in his life, death, and resurrection. We like to think about the united in the resurrection part, 
But sometimes we, we fail to recognize that we're united to him in his death and even before that in his, his suffering. So that as, the, as folks come to Jesus in this passage, we've already seen the disciples disappointed, right? They were expecting this king who was going to come and, uh, and lead this military endeavor to establish Israel as uh, the nation in control and in power in Jerusalem. That's not what they got at all. They got this king who humbled himself. And, and here, with his, uh, with his gentle sovereignty, he is silent before his accusers because he's headed to death. That's not what they were expecting. And the religious leaders are also getting something that they didn't expect uh, with Jesus, with the Christ. The one that they've really been looking forward to, uh, but it, it pushed up against their desires. It pushed up against their power. It pushed up against their comfort and the way that uh, they experienced life. And it pushes against ours as well. Jesus, in the way in which he works, pushes against our status quo and power and comfort as he challenges and calls us into to suffering. He's a different kind of king in his gentleness, his sovereign gentleness and silence. He, he's, he's one who is, is headed to death. And so we might think that we want him to, to draw us to success, and, and, and we live in a world, in a culture that, that says value is found in success. Value is found in accomplishing. I mean, you think about the people that you meet uh, on a day-to-day basis. And we're impressed by people who have achieved. And this is true inside and outside the church. A, a successful person in the church is somebody who has uh, large numbers or lots of money or has done amazing things. Uh, for uh, the Lord even. And, and what, we're, what we are tempted to think is that if, if God really loves us, if he's really uh, blessing us, if we're really going to experience him, it's when he meets us in times of success. And what we find actually is that Jesus meets us and calls us into our weaknesses. And we experience him in those times. That's really clear in Scripture. That is where we find Jesus, is in our weaknesses, in our suffering. It's not always what we want, but it's often what we're, we're offered. 1 Peter 4, 13 says, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. It goes on to say that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed, but we're too quick to jump to that moment. We start by sharing and rejoicing as we share in the sufferings of Christ. There's this idea of, uh, that we find here is the cross-centered life. Take up your cross daily and follow me. The cross is a place of suffering. It's a place of weakness. It's a place of giving up. And what he's saying is this is where you experience me. This is where you experience relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Father, with the Spirit, as the Spirit works through these things. Uh, Romans 8 gives us this same idea. End of verse 16 says that we are children of God. Again, that end, that relationship that we have. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Oh my goodness, the promises of being heirs with Christ, of being his children, of being a part of his family and experiencing all the benefits of that. Provided... We suffer with him 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. We want to so quickly jump over this reality that we're called to suffer with our God, to, to be met by him in our weakness. And, and maybe now more than ever, you're feeling weakness. It, it, maybe this is the Lord teaching us that we want to be in control. We think we're in control. We think we have things figured out and we do not. Whether it be COVID and all of the implications of COVID and even the unknown of, of what's coming with that, whether it be the fact that this war is happening in Ukraine that we never would have expected, that we think, oh, that's not going to happen. That's a failure to recognize that all of us have turned astray. That's a failure to recognize that we all have brokenness and sin that does need to be forgiven. That we have expectation that things are just going to get better in this world. Now, the biblical picture is it's always going to be broken until it's made right in the end, completely and finally. And in the meantime, we will experience suffering. I think there is some, some question of what that means for us. There's a recognition that we'll often need wisdom to know what it looks like to silently suffer, to step into weaknesses with the Lord. And, and I do think it's helpful to think about the fact that as we see this picture of Jesus and him inviting us in, having set this pattern for us, that there's a focus on the way that we think about ourselves and what we deserve, right? Now, the scripture is also clear that when it comes to uh, justice for others, we should be fighting for that. But particularly, the focus is on fighting for others and not for ourselves. That we would actually be willing to, to suffer ourselves, particularly for the sake of Jesus, particularly for his, his gospel. I think about our friends who are in, uh, in Ukraine right now, this team that has decided to say, Doug and Masha Shepard, who I knew from seminary, not well, but did know, are in Lviv, Ukraine. And they and the whole team, the team of I think five families that I prayed for earlier, they've decided to stay and to, to serve. There's a level of, of, of suffering there in, in ways that we probably will never have to suffer. But sometimes we might be ridiculed. We might uh, be challenged. Uh, we might be thought fools for our, our, our faith. Um, we, we might be called to, to give up uh, an opportunity to make lots of money or do something really fun or have uh, you know, some uh, item that we really want. We're, we're called to, at times, give those things up. And, and, and this is hard for us because... Uh, we, we don't even recognize, really, oftentimes, what, what many have suffered in the world now and uh, throughout history. That doesn't mean that we don't suffer. That doesn't mean that the, the last two years haven't been really hard for everybody for all kinds of reasons. But in that, we find a Lord who suffered himself in order that he might comfort us, in order that he might meet with us, he might sympathize with us, that he might be in relationship with us. So that as we experience difficulty, yes, there are moments, 100%, and we've, we've preached through the Psalms many times where we cry out to the Lord and say, why, Lord, what, what are you doing? But there are also times when we would say, not just take this from me, but what am I to learn in this? How am I to experience you in this weakness of mine, in this suffering that I experience? That we would look for him in those times. 
not that we would seek suffering itself just to experience Jesus, but that we would seek him, whether things are going well or whether they're not, and recognize that often when things are not going well, Jesus is offered to us. And how might we find him and experience him sympathizing with us? Let me pray.